Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, would you join me now? And you know where we're going to be. It is time to flip in your Bibles to the book of Philippians together. We'll be there over the next several weeks, next several months, actually, to the rest of the year. Go ahead and put it in your calendar. We'll be in the book of Philippians. Whether you are a guest here today or you've been a guest for some time or whether you are a church member who is new or been here for a long time, you are here today because you are searching for something. On some level or another, you are searching for something that either you lack completely or you seem to be short on. We've come here today because we are looking for joy. But you know, joy is so hard to find when happiness, that poor substitute, that fool's gold, is just lurking around the corner trying to grab our attention. Trust me, happiness says, I will make it better. You need not worry. Cast your cares upon me, for my yoke looks easy and my burden seems light. I would say even the church so often lacks joy because they have settled for happiness. Happiness says, if even but for a moment I can distract you, but it's temporary. And in pursuit of self, we are satisfied with just a little bit of happiness. And even though it's temporary, it feels good in the moment, but in the end, Happiness leaves us in shambles. Have you not found that to be the case? What brings you happiness in one moment in another moment will bring you great distress, will bring you great sorrow. In the end, happiness may promise your good, but in the end, happiness leaves us in shambles, weaker, more desperate, more pitiful, and more diligent to pursue it in the next thing that promises it. In a way, happiness is like a drug. We're addicted to that good feeling. And as soon as it goes away, we're looking for someone else, something else, some other circumstance to derive happiness from. But you've come here today knowing that there is something greater than happiness that is available for the believer. You know that there's something greater than that temporary satisfaction that you feel in the moment. There's something greater than happiness that awaits you, and that is joy. But you know joy is elusive. It evades those who seek it and reveals itself in great measure to those who wish to give it away. Today, we will look at the subject of joy. As we look in the book of Philippians in chapter 1 and verses 3 through 11 specifically to discover this joy that we find in the life of a Roman prisoner named Paul. Let us examine and apply the truth of God's word in our lives today. Hear now the word of the Lord. Philippians, let's begin in verse 1. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Philippi who are in Christ Jesus, along with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearned for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, once again, I come before you in the presence of your people to beg you to speak through me today to them. I know that there is not one singular word or bit of wisdom that I have that can affect the lives of my friends in this room today. But Father, I bring to them your word, and your word is more powerful than mine. Yours is more powerful than all. And I pray that you would speak to the hearts of all those who are here today so that the lost would come to you and that the saved would be drawn closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, if I had to title this message today, I would entitle it, Joyous. Joy us. That is, the joy that the gospel produces in us. And I don't mean us as in all of you singularly, but I mean the joy that the gospel produces in all of us collectively, together. The joy that you and I are able to have because God himself has knit us together. Have you ever stopped to think of how wonderful and glorious that is? All of us across this room, different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, across this room we have different ages, different uh, uh, life stories, and yet what has brought us together is not just some random meeting, but what has brought us together, what unites God's people is that we are God's people. And so today we're going to take a look at this joy that God has provided by knitting us together. The joy that comes through that work of the gospel in us. And as I say that, you understand that the word Christian is never mentioned singularly in the Bible. You will always find it in the plural. God has uh, sent his son Jesus to come to this earth to live a perfect life, to take upon his shoulders our sin so that all who would repent and call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord might be saved and knit together. We're better when we are together underneath the gospel and the truth. Today we explore the joy that the gospel provides in knitting us together. The text seems to break apart in two very uh, easy subcategories. Now remember, we're looking at joy, 
And now we're looking at the joy that we have through fellowship, okay? Now, this breaks down into two categories. I want you to see in verses 3 through 8, the gratitude, and in verses 9 through 11, the prayer. And if you're seeking for joy today, believer, we can look at what the gospel has produced in Paul's life. We can gaze upon what God has done in and through Paul, and we can apply those same truths to our lives. Number one, in verses three through eight, we see gratitude. You know, joy and gratitude go hand in hand. You will never find one without the other. A person who is filled with joy is someone who is grateful, and someone who is grateful is always filled with joy. The first eight verses of Philippians is filled with Paul's gratitude. Someone who is being unjustly held hostage, who is being unjustly imprisoned by uh, the Romans, who is chained to a Roman soldier, the Bible tells us. He really doesn't have any source of privacy. He is around this Roman soldier all the time. And we're looking at this gratitude that fills Paul's heart. If you look in verse 3, I think that you'll see, first of all, that this is gratitude with direction. Gratitude with direction. Verse 3, I thank my God. Now, if ever there was a time in someone's life to not be grateful, I would say it would be right now for Paul. There's a lot of things that he has to be ungrateful for, but the things that he is grateful for, he understands where the source is. And so the, the direction of his gratitude is always upward. When Paul is thankful for things and others around him, he always points that gratitude upward. I thank my God. Psalm 107 in verses 1 through 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Can I ask you a question today? How often are you grateful to the Lord, and how often do you express your gratitude toward the Lord? Does your gratitude, when you, when you are able to uh, produce some gratitude in your life, is it always out towards other people, or does your gratitude always look upwards? We understand where every good gift comes from, right, church? We understand where every good gift comes from, right, church? Every good gift, every wonderful thing given to us in our life has been given to us by our God. We like to think, since we are uh, Americans and since, uh, uh, since we have this long history of, of working, we, we think that we've earned everything that we have. We've worked hard for it, and it's ours. But everything that we have is a gracious and merciful gift from God to us. Paul's gratitude was upward. His direction of his gratitude was upward. I thank my God. Now, Paul has just been given this monetary gift by the Philippian church. And when he goes to express gratitude, where's the first place that he looks? He writes this in the letter. Now, you might expect him to write, hey, Philippians, thank you so much. But he understands that since they are knit together underneath the banner of the gospel, since they are knit together through the gospel, that when he thanks God for them, it's as good as thanking them themselves. 
It's gratitude with direction. To who? My God, he says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. But for whom? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You know, you'll find that Paul in all of his letters is rarely thankful for things. But he's always thankful for people. I wonder if we took a survey in here today. If you were to say in your private prayer life and you were to, you were to etch out all of those things that you say you're thankful for, would it primarily be things or would, would it primarily be people? Almost every time Paul wrote in the New Testament, when he is expressing gratitude, he is thanking God not for things, but for people. In the first 11 verses, Paul says, you all, five times. If he'd have been from Arkansas, it would have been a y'all, right? I thank God for y'all. I thank God for y'all. He says it over and over again. You all, you all, you all. When is the last time that you thank God for someone in this church? When's the last time you thank God for someone in your house? We ought to be people who have been changed by the gospel. The, the gospel ought to make us grateful people. But unfortunately, we are very ungrateful people. Paul is thankful that the fellowship of the gospel has provided this fellowship with uh, the people at Philippi. I mean, vastly different. There's rich people in the church at Philippi, business women in the church of Philippi. There are prison guards at the church of Philippi. There's poor, there's rich. The, the whole, I mean, all of society can be seen in this church here. And yet what has united them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's no wonder that people have no appeal to the church when they hear of bitterness and rivalries within the church. That should not be the case. Division is poisonous in the church. And if you have allowed that to take root in your life, and I'm speaking of no one specifically today, but if that, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing the ball over the fence, and if it's hitting you in the head, you're going to be the one that's barking, okay? Today, if you have division, bitterness in your heart against someone else in the church, that doesn't belong there. Forgiveness belongs there. Gratitude belongs there. Division and bitterness does not belong there. Paul's thankful that he's been knit together. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 tells us about this fellowship that the Bible, that the gospel produces. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, in verses 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now look here. Here's Paul. Here's the church at Philippi. And this third strand is the Holy Spirit who unites them together. And that threefold, that threefold cord is not easily broken. Paul is thankful for the church at Philippi, everyone else seems to have abandoned Paul. People who used to hang out with Paul are now 
ignoring him. They're saying, Paul who? But the church of Philippi are literally breaking their piggy banks and are trying to send him a love offering because they've heard that he's in prison and they want him to know just how much they love him, how thankful they are for him. Biblical fellowship, the kind that Paul is thankful for, is fellowship that is built for hard times. Uh, perhaps you're here today, you're visiting with us, you've been visiting perhaps for a while, and you, you go from, you know, sometimes it's easy to, to try to look for a different church where perhaps you can find fellowship, but what you're really looking for is friendship. Now, friendship's great, right? But fellowship is built really for hard times, right? When the going get tough, the tough get going. Hey, it's difficult when, when problems arise. It's easy to, to run for us. But biblical fellowship says, I'm here. Paul, Paul, you're in prison. And I know that my name may be, uh, I, I may put a lot of trouble on my own name. And I may come underneath the scrutiny of the Roman government. But Paul, we love you. We are built for the hard times. Church, that's what we're here for, Amen. Come on, that's what we're here for, amen? We're here for the hard times. We're here to love one another when you don't feel like loving one another. Now, I would ask you right now to look around this room, and you might find someone that's hard to love, right? Don't do it. Don't do it. Some of you looking straight at me, and you're like, yeah. Yes, sir. That's what we're grateful for. We love those people. That's when it comes into action, not based upon our love, but based upon what the Holy Spirit does in us. Paul is grateful for this fellowship that is made for the hard times. It reminds me of a story of uh, two boys who were born shortly before World War I. They're born around the same time, lived right next door to one another, grew up, and were always in the same class. Uh, uh, we're on the same baseball teams uh, growing up, graduated together. And when war broke out, they joined the Army together, went to the same basic training, was shipped off, put in the same company together. They were put down in the same foxhole. And in the middle of battle, one of the friends had jumped out and ran out in the middle of no man's zone and was shot down in between the two trenches. Well, the other friend was getting ready to jump up and jump out of the foxhole to go get his friend. And the commander came over and said, don't you dare leave this foxhole. We are short. He jumped out there. He's dead. There's nothing you can do to save him. If you do go out there and you somehow make it back, you're going to be mortally wounded. You're going to be wounded for the rest of your life. And if you are, and if you do go outside of this hole and you do make it back, I'm going to court-martial you. And I'm going to take you for everything you have. Am I understood? And the friend said, yes. The commander turned around, and the young boy jumped out of the hole and ran. Now, some time, as everyone waited with anticipation to see what would happen. But when they looked over the top of the foxhole, there they saw that young man running. He had had his friend on the front of him, so he couldn't get hurt anymore. And right before he got to the trench, he was shot in the leg and just barely was able to jump in the trench. His leg was bleeding profusely. Medics had gathered around him, and they looked over at his friend. His friend was dead. The commander came up, and even as the medics were working on him, he began to yell at him, how dare he obey his direct order? If he does survive, he is going to be court-martialed, and even then, he, he's, he is, uh, his friend is dead. Was it worth it? He said, was it worth it? The foxhole got quiet. The young man said, when I got to him, he was breathing heavily. And his eyes were closed, and it wasn't much longer till he was to die. And I got down next to him, 
and I cradled his head in my arms. And he opened his eyes, and he smiled, and he said with his last breath, I knew you'd come. That's the type of fellowship that God has granted to his people, putting our own lives, our own personalities, our own pride at risk, putting it all down for the sake of one another to build one another up. Paul is thankful for biblical fellowship. He's thankful to God. He's thankful for them. He's, it's gratitude with determination. Notice what he says, I, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you. How often are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? How often are you thankful? Paul is in prison, and I know you say, Josh, he's got a lot of time on his hands. He can do it, right? Hey, you drive somewhere in the morning. You drive somewhere in the afternoon. I can tell you something a lot better than that talk radio you're probably listening to, and I can tell you something probably better than the music that you're listening to. Spend time with the Lord. Thank God for the people of First Baptist Church of West Memphis. Thank God for your friends and your family here. Spend time. Paul, is, he has gratitude with determination. Always in every prayer of mine for you. He's, he's intentional with his gratitude. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I wonder how much joy is being forfeited by the church today because they refuse to be intentional and being grateful to God for those who are around them. And I say that, I look around here, I know I've got a lot of wonderful brothers and sisters in this room who I love. I love you all. I mean, I've, when I'm listening to Paul talk about these things, I'm thinking there's no one more gracious in the history of mankind. There's no church more merciful and gracious to a pastor than you have always shown me in the short time that I have been here. But when I, I look out here to my friends, I also tell you on based upon Scripture, we ought to be intentionally with God grateful for one another. And I know, listen, look at me, I know that we're not intentionally grateful to God for one another. Calculate up in your prayers this past week. How many of your friends have you, in this church, have you thanked God for? When you remember them, have you stopped and said, oh, I thank, thank you, Lord, for this brother, this sister in my life. It's persistent, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He's praying, he's thanking God for this fellowship that's been granted to him. This gratitude with devotion. Notice the repetition in verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Look in verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearned for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, even if you were to be the, the uh, exemplary church member here today, we all fall short of this standard that Paul has set for us. We don't hold one another in our hearts like we ought to. We don't yearn for one another. The affection is not there as it should be. Paul is filled with gratitude. It's gratitude with devotion. It's gratitude with confidence. Look what he says in verse 6. And I'm sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? I've seen the work of the Holy Spirit in you. I'm thankful for that, and I know this. What God started in you, he's going to finish. Hey, listen, whenever you're angry at someone else in in church, you just remember this. What God started in that brother or sister, he's going to finish, and he ain't done yet. The project is, he's still in the middle of the project. He's still working on me. He's sawing stuff out off all the time off of me. Josh, that ain't going to work. Josh, this ain't going to work. This is going to have to change. We are a work in progress. The Holy Spirit who indwelt us when we came to know Jesus as Savior as Lord, when we repented of our sins and called upon him, that Holy Spirit is at work in us. And what great news. He's going to finish that work that he began in you. Also, You're here today, you think, man, I'm a lost cause. After all these years of serving him, I still mess up. I'm still failing at the most basic things. Hold on to this promise. If you have repented of your sins and called upon Jesus as Lord, he who began a good and work in you will see it about to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's still working on you. Amen. All right, secondly, secondly, I want you to see with me not just gratitude, but prayer, not just the gratitude. Paul is filled with gratitude. And someone who is grateful is someone who's going to pray, right? It's someone who's going to go to the Lord in prayer and express that gratitude. Much like gratitude, Paul rarely prayed for physical things, but he prayed primarily for spiritual things. I love our prayer meetings together. I love when we gather together to pray. This morning at, at uh, 9.15 a.m., we gathered in here praying for revival. And you know what? I think I want to do that just about every Sunday. I, I don't know about you all. It was a blessing for me and my heart. That's not, that doesn't mean it's going on the calendar. It may go on the calendar, okay? We'll talk about it tomorrow in staff meeting and everything. But I would like for us to spend time in prayer together because that's so incredibly important. It's important to t- pray about physical things, I was praying with a good friend of mine this morning on her way to Jonesboro because her daughter is having heart issues. And as she's on her way to Jonesboro to take care of her, her daughter, I, I had the chance to pray with her. And God cares about those physical problems that go wrong with us. Amen? He cares about all of, the, all of our requests. But you know, when Paul prayed, primarily, it was about spiritual matters. He was a person who was grateful, but his, and he was grateful in the right direction. He was grateful uh, in, in the direction of the Lord, but he was a man of prayer. And so we ought to be people of prayer. Look at the template for how he prays for the Philippians. He does not pray for their physical welfare. That would have been a good thing to pray for. If I'm in prison and you've sent me a love offering, you're probably going to hear from Josh Thank you, and I pray that the Lord doubles that back to you, okay, if I'm ever in prison, all right? P.S., get me out of here, right? Post bail, get me out of here. That's, that's, that's going to be my prayer. But notice Paul's prayer. He doesn't pray for their financial well-being. What does he say? He has priorities. He understands what the church at Philippi really needs. He says, and it is my prayer, verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, he'd already seen the love there. 
He is a recipient of their love. These poor people, we, we've, we learn about this in other letters that Paul has written. They are broke. And yet they set the template for all of the New Testament churches as to how to give sacrificially. And they give sacrificially to Paul. They've already expressed their love. He knows that love abides in them. But Paul's prayer is that their love may abound more and more. I hope you're not satisfied today with the little bit of love that's in your life. I hope you desire more and more. God, pour it out in me, pour it into my life. The Bible says that that love has already been poured out into our hearts. Romans 5, chapter 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 9 through 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. When Paul goes to list the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first fruit that he lists? Love. And when Paul says that the, the greatest thing that any believer could search after when it comes to the gifts that God has given in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says that that is love. Now, we, we know how to fabricate smaller things. So instead of, instead of joy, we settle for happiness, right? The world has taught us to settle for happiness. And instead of love, the world has taught us to settle for lust, the world has taught us to settle for, for like, for, for temporary things. But biblical love is greater than that. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. And Paul's prayer for the Philippian church is that they would be filled with love, that they would be abounding with love, that as people went by the, the, the church at Philippi, they would see that this is a group of people that love one another. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So that's his prayer. That's my prayer for you. That our love may abound for one another. That our love may abound for him. Paul prays that our love may abound. But then he continues in verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. Real love produces knowledge. Anything short of that is counterfeit. Sarah and I have been married for 13 years, so we've known one another longer than that, and I love my wife. Now, I know things about my wife and church. She knows a lot of things about me. A lot of things, we have a few things positive, a few, a little bit more than a few negative, right? But because we love one another, we know about one another. In a sense, when you love someone, you know more about them than they know about themselves, things that they've not yet recognized. Paul is not praying for blind love. That's what the world would teach you is love today. You just have that great feeling regardless of, regardless of what goes on, and yet love is distinctly defined in the New Testament. It has parameters, right? It's, 
it is unloving for me to say to someone that their sin is okay, right? It's unloving for me to tell you that if you gossip, it's okay, we all fail. No, if I love you, I will say, turn from that sin and turn to Jesus. So what Paul is praying for is that as their love abounds, that it doesn't do so haphazardly, but that it does so with knowledge. Knowledge about God, knowledge about his word, knowledge of him. True love, as it abounds, grows in knowledge. Romans 15, 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. And Jesus will say in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What does that require? Knowledge, storing up God's word in our heart. Love is not haphazard, it's intentional. And biblical love is accompanied with knowledge, and that's what Paul is praying for his church. Thank you for your gift. And in response, I am praying for you for the real thing, for love to abound and for that to abound with knowledge. Nextly, in verse 15, in, in, nextly he continues with discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Discernment is a lost practice for New Testament churches today. So willingly, churches accept any new doctrine without any testing. If someone has an experience, we say, well, good for you. And we don't say, well, what does the Bible say? When someone tells you of an experience they had, you, should, you ought to always compare that against Scripture because there is someone who's able to, to uh, mimic the things of God and trying to trick people and bring them to hell with him. So we ought to be those people who discern, take doctrine and discern it. Paul's desire is that as their love grows, their knowledge grows, and as their knowledge grows, they are able to discern what is excellent and what is right. In ancient Roman times, pottery would often develop cracks. Because of the material and because of its moving around and even the temperature, this pottery would often get cracks in it. So what a, a person would do who is in the market was they would take some wax and they would fill in those cracks. Man, I'm, I'm rhyming all over the place today. They'd take some wax and they'd put it in those cracks and they'd kind of sand it down and they'd paint over it. And they'd take it to market and they'd sell it like it's brand new. It's the top of the line pottery that we have for you today. But you know what? If you took that pot and you held it up to the sunlight, you would be able to see those cracks and the wax as the sun poured through that wax. And the scripture teaches us that if we truly love and want to see the worth of something, that will hold that up to the light and we will discern what is right and what is excellent. The Bible says, Paul says here today, my prayer is that your love may abound, and that in that knowledge, it builds on one another. And then as you gain knowledge, you are able to discern. That's why we shouldn't be spiritual babies. That's why you should, shouldn't still be drinking just the, the milk of Scripture, but you should, be, you should be digging into the text and tr seeking to understand and see uh, what God's Word really has to say. We're, we're too easily accepting of these false teachings. We ought to be like the Bereans who examine the Scriptures and use discernment. By the way, people would say today that discernment is quenching the Spirit. 
right? If, if, if something was going on in your life today and I were to try to discern by Scripture whether or not that was an authentic experience, you might say you're quenching the Spirit. But the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verses 19 through 22, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul's praying for this church. Love, knowledge, discernment, so that they can approve what is excellent, what is right. If you're taking notes, write down Romans 12 too. We don't have time, so I'm moving on. Next, in verse 10, he says, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul prays that as they abound with love, as that love increases to knowledge, as knowledge of Christ and his word would feed their desire to discern what is pleasing and excellent, that it would cause them to be pure and blameless. All of these building on one another, Paul cares mostly for their spiritual well-being. He remembers that they were out of the way. He had never planned to go and share the gospel with people at Philippi until one night he could not sleep and the Spirit of the Lord commanded, God, uh, commanded Paul to go across the river and head to Philippi. And when he did, and when he shared the gospel with Lydia and her household, their lives were radically changed. And he wasn't satisfied with them just being baby Christians. He wanted them to grow and for their love to grow and for their knowledge to grow and for their discernment to grow so that they may be Pure and blameless. That's God's desire for you. He began a good work in you. He wants to see it to completion. But he wants you to be pure and blameless in his sight. Psalm 23, verses 3 through 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. We're praying for revival this morning. That's what we're praying for. We're praying, yes, for revival for our nation. Yes, revival for our city. Yes, revival for our church. But we're praying for revival in me, in you. When we pray for revival, we're saying, Lord, make me pure. Take away that sin that I'm even unaware of. Let me see it and turn from it because I want to be like you. He, he wants us to be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, he says in verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Again, you can write down John chapter 15 and verses 1 through 8 where Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. Anyone who abides in me will, will have fruit. Paul's desire is that they're filled with not their own fruit, not the works of man, but they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit would produce these things in them. Any good work that happens is a result of him and not of me. Finally, at the end of verse 11, he says, to the glory and praise of God. Now, he began with love, and they moved down this long list that builds on one another, but it all has an aim. His prayer for the church at Philippi is that they would be honoring to God and that, they, that it would give glory and praise to God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, the Bible says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. That is, we've been saved. We've been marked for heaven. We've been set aside for heaven, having repented of our sins and called upon him. But the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Why were we saved? Why did God knit us together? Why? For your glory? For mine? Certainly, we are blessed because of it. Certainly, we have better because of it. Why? Because it gives glory to God. And in the end, isn't that what we want as a church? So maybe you're here today and you're lacking joy. Maybe, maybe you lack perspective. I want to encourage you to be people of gratitude, thankful to God for all things, especially all those who God has put in your life, how he has knit us together as a church. And I want your prayer life and my prayer life to reflect the prayer that Paul has given to the Philippians in this letter. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.